you are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit Win, Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global marketing lead at Win by night and product manager and university level faculty by day. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Win Win Podcast. I think it's no secret that as a part of the Women in Innovation mission of getting more women in innovation leadership roles, we want to get more money into their hands. Yet, just saying that out loud comes with stigmas and stereotypes around women and what they're supposed to or not supposed to talk about. And so, for those of you who have been tuning into this podcast over the last year or so, you know that I really focus on trying to open up those Pandora's boxes about age and gender and children and, of course, money. Money, which is why I couldn't be more excited to have the Chief Product Officer of Elevest, a financial company for women by women here today, and that is Alexandria Street. I have seen Alex speak on multiple panels as her 12th plus year expertise in product is remarkable, and today's conversation really connects the dots across innovation and financial services, as well as, of course, what it means to be a woman and a woman who asserts her right for financial freedom and equality. Alex shares a personal experience and story she had with her aha financial moment. And I've thought about this a lot as just a year ago, I didn't even know what a 401k really was and what retirement had to do with my life, which is, you know, ironic. I share this and I ask the question to Alex because the best way we can get equality and innovate and change the world is by gaining that financial freedom. And so I hope that the information and the magic of this episode will encourage you to maybe have that conversation with yourself or with your friends because it's not just about money. I could talk about this all day, clearly, but I will hand it off to the expert, the amazing Alex Street. And as always, feel free to reach out to me with your feedback or questions or anything else that you want to chat about. Enjoy. Hi, Alex. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. Hi, Zoya. Thank you so much for having me today. The pleasure is all mine. I've followed your trajectory and Elvest for years, and it's crazy to think that you've been at Elvest for six and a half years now since the beginning. And, you know, we'll talk about product and product innovation, of course, but really curious how you found out about the opportunity and what made you go from such a tenure and a senior role at Weight Watchers to going to this very early stage startup. That is a great question. I I would like to say that no one should ever let an opportunity pass you by. So I found out about Elevest. I mean, way before Elevest even had a name, I was part of the, the founding team. I received a LinkedIn message from a recruiter saying that there were two very senior people in finance who were looking for their first product manager. And they were looking for somebody who had experience with women and behavior change, which is, you know, exactly what I was doing while I was at Weight Watchers. And, you know, for a minute I was like, wow, finance, I don't, I don't know if I could do that. Like, I don't have any experience in that. And the recruiter was like, just get on the phone with me. Let's have a quick conversation and, you know, we can, we can see where this goes. And so it was just 
a random cold LinkedIn message that got me to, you know, where I am today at Elevest. It's crazy because, I mean, I definitely get a bunch of those and I always am like, is this an MLM scam? But it shows that it can lead to such a crazy opportunity, which is so exciting. I know that as far as your educational background, you went straight from undergrad to grad school at NYU, after which you kicked off your product career, as we mentioned, at Weight Watchers. So I guess what was behind the grad school decision and and how do you think it contributed to your career? So I I was looking for a ticket to come out to New York City. And mm-hmm. I think if I didn't have the community of a school, you know, being 21, 22 years old at the time, I, you know, I, I think I would have been really nervous to move. It's not like I had family in New York. I didn't have friends. I went to I went to undergrad in the Midwest. So it would it, it was a big change. New York is just so full of opportunities and there's just so many interesting people there and there's so many businesses there that I I was able to, you know, intern at a couple of places, figure out, you know, what it was that I really wanted to do and you know, my internship at Weight Watchers was on the product team. Wow. And so right out of grad school, you know, I I joined a product management team. So it was it was great to to get that experience and you know to meet people and take take chances. Like I didn't even know what product was mm-hmm. prior to you know that internship. And so you make this big transition going from food and nutrition to as you mentioned an industry that you you barely were familiar with which is financial services. So I know of course your role has changed in scope at Elevest in the six and a half years that you were there but as the most senior product person in the company and sometimes the only product person in the company who did you go for answers and how did you ensure that your product learning and development continued to grow? Yeah, so I'm a I'm a big Marty Kagan fan. Uh, you know, we we moved to an agile process while at Weight Watchers. Brought him in to to do some work, and so I have read you know all of his books, and you know I encourage my team to also you know read read his work in the Silicon uh, Valley Product Group's blogs. I would talk to other product leaders, Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be in the financial services space, but just hearing about how they're running their teams, how they're working with their engineering teams, Mm -hmm. you know, I would go to, to different dinners that I'd be invited to. So just really keeping a network of, of people close by. And then how do you think you accelerated that, you know, learning gap with the financial services industry? I mean, it's people literally get degrees in in finance and financial services related subject matters. Yeah, so this is what is so interesting, I think, about our CEO at Elevest. Like she has decades of financial experience. We hired a chief investment officer who also has decades of finance experience, um, the co-founder, decades of finance experience. And so I think what they were looking for is a little bit of diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, they were like, we have the finance thing down just fine. Like, let's bring in somebody who knows women and who is has studied and is familiar with with behavior change. Mm-hmm. And so I really, I really appreciated that because I was like, my, my job was to create a product that people love and their job was to 
on the back end, you know, make sure, you know, all the investments were the right investments that that, sure. that our members were supposed to get and, and so on and so forth. But I did learn a lot about finance. I know so much more than I did, you know, six and a half years ago. Mm -hmm. And part of that was always asking whenever I didn't know something, I I always made sure to ask the question. I never was just like, okay, yeah, I'm going to pretend to know this because you, you want to learn. And they know that I was not familiar with that domain at the time. What I will say is, you know, I think that there were, there were other women like me who, you know, were excelling in their careers and didn't necessarily have a finance background and therefore they are less likely to invest or less likely to get involved in, in finance. And so I was sort of like, well, gosh, if I don't know something that probably means our users don't know it either. And so that was really helpful, I think, in just building out the V1 of our product. Yeah, and I think, you know, Alavest and some of the other leaders in the financial services industry, such as Jane Frazier and Mary Callahan Erdos, have inspired me personally and so many others to talk about money, which we know is is largely missing, but it's also so important. It was definitely a mindset shift, though, and I, I feel like I had this awakening that something had to change. So I guess going off of what you said, what was your aha money moment and, and what do you think prompted it? So when I was earning a paycheck in grad school, I wanted to open my own IRA and I went to one of the bigger banks, I will not say which one it was, and I opened up an IRA and I deposited money in it and then I thought I was done. I thought that was all I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And I go back in and I check on it and I'm like, hmm, not making any money. What's what's going on? <laughs> and I didn't actually realize that I was the person responsible for picking out the investments. Like I thought I had picked the IRA and that's like all I was supposed to do. Now I was 22 years old, you know, and it sort of hit me like, gosh, there's not, there's not like any financial education from it. I called that company and what I will say is because I did not have $100,000 invested with them, they wouldn't speak to me on the phone. Hmm. And so it just it like like today things are so much more accessible with all of these other fintechs and things like that. But sure. you know, when I was 22, that really wasn't the case and and so I think my aha moment was like, wow. Like I felt stupid in that in that moment, but no one had ever told me. I didn't learn that in school. I didn't Mm -hmm. know, you know, it wasn't like there was a flow on the website to follow to pick out the investments. There was none of that. Yeah. And I I do think that women haven't been the audience that these companies are trying to attract. And I think that that's what makes Elevest so different. One of the many things, and there are now many more companies that focus on, you know, XYZ for women, because of course, again, as I mentioned, women have been long underserved as an audience and as a consumer. I have to call out though, unfortunately, that has resulted in pink washing and even products being overpriced because they are labeled as for women. Elvest's product is different in the sense that the actual functionality and the offering caters to women-specific problems. So could you talk to me more about that and explain how you went about avoiding the other side of the spectrum? Well, I think it's interesting because you had mentioned pinkwashing, and immediately that's what people think when they think about products for women. Mm-hmm. It is so sad that no one thinks about products for women and are like, wow, it can be smart and beautiful at the totally. same time. 
Totally. And that, I believe, is what Elevest is. We have this beautiful interface. Our product design team is so talented. Our brand team, so talented. You know, beautiful, beautiful experience. And then underneath the hood, there are just all of these amazing things that are happening. Sure. Like our chief investment officer is the one who comes up with the portfolios. She wrote the algorithm of what, you know, investments you get when you go and you pick out your goals. Mm -hmm. And so there's just a lot there. And so the fact that, you know, folks you know, look at something for women and, you know, immediately think pink washing is sure. sad because there is a lot of good stuff there. You could share maybe some of the ways that the product caters to women. I think it's so phenomenal and so different from what's out there in the market. Yeah. So for one, um, our investing algorithm, uh, it takes into account gender, which there is not another company out there that is doing that today. Right. And you might say like, well, why? what does gender have to do with it? Like I should have the same portfolio as a man. And the reality of it is, is no, you should not. You are more likely to live six years longer than um, a man that is your age. You are more likely to take career breaks because of babies, because of sick parents. And unfortunately today, women's salaries peak earlier than men's salaries by, mm -hmm. you know, almost 10 years. And so that has to be factored into how much money you need at the end uh, when it's time to retire. And Elevest's, you know, experience, our, our algorithm accounts for that. Another example is, you know, women tend to have have goals. They are they are more goals based than men. And you, know, you talk to a man and he's like, I just want as much money in the market as I can. Mm -hmm. You talk to a woman and she's like, I want to make sure that my kids have the money that they need for college. I want to get that second house when, you know, it's time <laughs> to retire. I want to do X, Y, and Z. And she just wants enough money to be able to live the life that she that she wants. And so because of that, you know, we need to make sure that the portfolios that she she is in, you know, is the right allocation of stocks, bonds, you know, alternatives. And so we we account for that as as well. And you know, a lot of times you hear that like women are risk averse. That is not true. We believe women are risk aware. And, you know, they, they take into account everything and look at the full, full picture. And, you know, one of those things that we want to be really careful about is that you don't kind of look at the whole picture and then say, oh, gosh, I have to go research it and come back to it and, and wait. Um, and so we help you get there by just recommending a portfolio based off of who you are and your goals mm -hmm. where you don't have to go and, and pick and pick that portfolio yourself. It always honestly makes me laugh that people say that our women are more risk averse when you think about like the stock market and women are a lot less likely to freak out and pull all their money out. And yet that's something that's so not talked about. So it's really exciting to see that the way that you guys are thinking about women and, and women and money. Yeah. I also think that one of the interesting things about Elevest and innovation on Elevest is that you have shifted incrementally as well as completely pivoted but between your angel stage uh, as well as now. And so what approach do you take when prioritizing and how do you embed innovation into your work? So when Elevest first got started, we were a digital investing firm. You would come in, you would tell us your investing goals. 
over time we learned and, and we to be fair, we knew we knew this coming in, but we knew when you create an MVP product, you can't it solve. It has to be singular. Exactly. You can't solve every everybody's problem on, on day one. But as time got on and we, we felt really good about our investing product, we wanted to do more for other other women, like other groups of women. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we expanded our offering to be more about membership. And you can come to Elevest to do more than just investing. You know, I think at the time too, our our mission really changed. It went from closing the gender investing gap to getting more money in the hands of women. And so with membership, you know, we believe, you know, you can come in and get a debit card and start rounding up and being able to, you know, work on your save goals. You can do investing. You can do, you know, we have lots of educational tools as as well. Um, And then we also have coaching. You know, especially with this pandemic that's been happening, it's been really interesting to see how the career coaching for offering has really like hit the ground running. I mean, people are rethinking, you know, their lives. They're rethinking, you know, where they work. There are things that, with the pandemic that, you know, we're sort of like silver linings. I think Mm -hmm. people really do enjoy working from home. Sure. Um, I think they enjoy the flexibility. I think they're realizing that they can be really productive um, and not be in the office. And so I think women are trying to like work through like what this means and what this means for their future. And so when it comes to like innovation, picking up on like what's going on around you in the world what you know looking at your offerings like we were like i said we thought coaching was going to be a break-even business and it we're like wow this is like you know taking off like wildfire because mm-hmm. it's just there's just this need that you know maybe wasn't there you know a couple of years ago yeah and i think it goes to show that every woman is in a different place in her financial journey and therefore if you guys are the one-stop shop to really cater to all those needs i mean the sky's the limit So I guess thinking about uh, the interplay and the agility that comes with startups, I know that the financial services industry is, you know, notoriously regulated, but you are a startup. And I've heard your founder and CEO talk about how she feels that LFS could have never happened in the framework of a larger financial institution, such as the one that she worked at. And as a startup that has the space to have agility, how do you create checks and balances but still manage to move quickly? So I think one of the reasons why LFS would have never have been able to happen at a big company is because the big companies really thought it was a marketing problem, mm-hmm. not a product problem. You know, there's a, oh, we just don't have the right marketing message to get women to invest. But they never actually did the work of talking to women and finding out exactly what was missing. Sure. And so at Elevest, our, our process has has included a really rigorous research program, right? There's really not a product that goes out that doesn't have some sort of test or user testing session or A-B test attached to it. And we try to get as many learnings as, as we can. And so I believe 
that that also helps us be able to stay on our toes because the more information you have coming in, you know, you can do some checks and balances to say, you know, like, is the roadmap the right roadmap, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think if we would have, you know, planted a roadmap and just, you know, went along, you know, went along Mm -hmm. with it for the course of a year, we would have missed, you know, some ample opportunities, especially around the coaching, the coaching piece of it. So I always use this this phrase that a really good product manager only launches 50% of their their roadmap because they're paying attention to what else is going on in the market, uh, you know what's what's going on with the world, what data they're learning as they launch their individual products. The other thing I will say that we do at Elevest is, you know, back to the testing where like now now we have done you know lots of research. We have a, a good product offering up, but we are looking for for ways to you know increase conversion. We're looking for ways to you know decrease churn, and so we are able to you know link with third parties to do some really interesting tests. So, for example, like our marketing site today has over a billion different versions of it because we are testing different messages, different color buttons, different home pages. There's mm-hmm. so much going on and we're trying to find the right thing that resonates with with, you know, our our prospects. And then as you move in down the conversion funnel, same thing, talking about, you know, our messaging, you know, making sure that you know, the the right, I guess, pillar to sign up with. So some people, we talked about this earlier, some people are ready for investing. Some people might not be there yet. We, they might do better with a debit card to start. And so making sure that people see the right pillar as they get started as well. Mm-hmm. So we use a lot of data that way. But yeah, those are some of the things I think, you know, can happen in a startup that like, like, I don't, I don't know if like a compliance team at a, at a large company would feel great about having a billion different versions of the marketing site. No, nope, because everyone would have to be uh, approved. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess um, the other piece of that, that I'm curious about is, is, you know, with all those versions, with the button testing, with, you know, just seeing drop off rates, as well as things like app store reviews, mm-hmm. I'm sure you're sitting on so much data. And I know that your background isn't in data science and, and yeah. you're not the, the head of data at LFS. So I guess what I'm really curious about is to understand what your process is when you get all that data. Yeah, so we are building out our our data team at LFS because we believe, you know, there's just so much there. And so I think what we're trying to do is like have one data person per two product ownership teams and that person is like integrated into the core team, uh, mm-hmm. just like you would have, you know, a product manager, product designer, sure. lead engineer. You need you need a data person, and so mm-hmm. you know, as they're running these tests, they are thinking about like how they want to set it up and the data that they want to watch, and you know mm-hmm. what the primary objective is, what the secondary objective is. When do we call the test? Do you need statistical significance to call the test? You know, there's all these things that are that are getting talked about. So, I will say that um, we do integrate our data people into our product ownership teams. The other thing I will say is I get a series of reports every morning in my inbox. That that is how I start my day. 
Mm -hmm. I look at our membership dashboard, which has conversion rates on it. It has number of members that have signed up. It has, Mm -hmm. you know, what tiers they have signed up for, activation rates, all of that. And so I can see, you know, over time, are we improving? Are we not improving? If, If there's an issue, hey, let's do some user research here to figure out why people are picking this tier over that tier, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And again, another, I'm sure another big learning curve there to figure all of that out. I, I know that I'm personally working through it myself. So I guess to touch on learning, as I know learning and coaching is such a big part of the LFS community and what it stands for. If you could drop everything now and learn something tomorrow, what would it be? I would like to learn how to code. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, like I said, I did not like have an engineering background or a business background before becoming a product manager, but I just think it is so amazing, you know, how, how these engineers can build what they can build. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think our philosophy here at Elevest is, you know, to, to really like embrace your, your engineers, like they are the folks that know how to get something done, they know what's capable, and they really can help you solve some really complicated problems. Totally. I don't know, just to be able to like learn how to do a little bit of what they do, I think would be really cool. A hundred percent. And I mean, one of the things that I love learning from Marty Kagan is, is that if you aren't involving your engineer as a central part of your innovation and product process, you're, you're doing it all wrong. Exactly. I guess on on the other part of the learning, I know you mentioned Marty Kagan, but I also have heard that you get your team to kind of read new books all the time and and articles and things and you guys discuss them. So anything recently that you've read or you're really excited about? So because we are in a growth stage, we have been reading growth hacking books. So I am a fan of Sean Ellis, and I believe his book called Growth Hacker is is one that the team read together. There's there's just so much like low hanging fruit in the product experience, like. Like if, if you could get someone to rate your app, for example, when they have a really great like experience, like mm-hmm. they, they just, they just did something and they're like, oh wow, this is amazing. Like if you get them to like, if you can get the like app store rating thing to pop up at that moment, you're more likely to get more five-star reviews, which would 100%. actually improve your download rate, which could then improve your conversion rate. And so just like taking a look at all those little things that you can do, I think, I think really make a big difference. And, you know, I think some companies don't realize the value in growth hacking and don't know the difference between like product management and, and growth, right? Like the product managers are working on the core experience, like a growth hacking team is trying to get more people to use that experience. And I think you have to have, you know, your pro your, your head of product, your head of marketing, like really all on the same page of understanding, you know, what, what that looks like and, and the benefits of, of growth hacking. Yeah, and I always think about the story that Whitney from Bumble tells about how she used to hand out like party invites and say like download the app. I mean, prime prime example of of growth hacking. Yeah. And and then I guess the last question around learning and innovation and development. Financial services has been disrupted over and over and over again including by your company. Mm-hmm. Um so what are some of the trends or innovations in the space that you're really excited about or want to learn more about? 
Well, you know, I think I think with the pandemic, it's just been amazing to see that the changes that have happened. I mean, there was a period of time where people wouldn't even like touch an ATM to get cash. And so mm-hmm. just seeing like all of these fintechs pop up having billion, two billion, three billion dollar valuations is just like, you know, I think chime even is like 15 billion. Right. Um, so it's just like truly amazing to see these, you know, fintech companies taking off. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, maybe some of the bigger banks, for example, were maybe behind in the fact that like, oh, your debit card, your credit card, you couldn't tap it. Like now people aren't using it because they don't want to like touch anything. So it's just, it's, it's really been amazing to see like people work from home and like the, the digital innovation, I think, you know, in, in that space and, you know, all of us as well, like when we launched our card, I mean, the ability to like put it right in your, your digital wallet and all of that was, was part of that experience, which, you know, maybe wouldn't have necessarily been the case if, you know, the pandemic wasn't as, as large as it was. Sure. It it just opens so many doors for people to experiment with uh, the digital space. Yeah. Like there, there are companies that will not take cash anymore, period. Yeah. yeah. So like that's, that's due to the pandemic. Yeah. And even the subway here in New York City. I mean, I haven't bought a subway pass in probably a year and a half now because you can just tap and go. Yeah. It's just crazy. So I guess to ask you to look forward one more time, I'd love to know where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now, and 10 years from now? Well, one month from now, we're, we're currently, it's, you and I are filming, you know, September, September 1st, we're recording September 1st. People are about to go on their Labor Day, you know, trips <laughs> away to their cabin or wherever else. They're going to, you know, folks are coming back and they are really thinking about work and what they want some offices are reopening, some are holding back. People, especially millennials, I think I just heard this stat earlier this week, but two out of three millennials right now are looking for a new job. Wow. And it's because they don't feel valued at work. They they maybe like their current lifestyle and don't want to go back or whatever the case may be. And so I think I think especially women, especially women who have children, you know, are really going to be, you know, asking for a change or looking for a change. And so I do think that you're going to see a lot of movement and hopefully moving in the right direction where, you know, you are able to go to a job that is able to give you either better benefits or more money, uh, for example. So I would say, you know, I'm, I'm being a little bit more broad. Like I'm, I'm thinking of my industry as like getting more money in the hands of women. So sure, I do think... Sure. Next month, you know, or so, you're going to see a lot of people, you know, switching switching roles. Mm-hmm. You know, a year from now, I'm hoping that the companies who have you know, been able to hire all of these people are doing their work to try to keep them. And the companies who have lost people are also taking a look and saying like, wow, we lost our staff. It's time that we, you know, put some some resources into, you know, helping helping women in particular. And so things like Elevest at Work or companies like BetterUp or, you know, some of these other coaching services, Chief, for example, about like connecting women uh, to each other. I think you're going to really see companies wanting to work with other companies so that they can offer their women more, more services. They can try to help their women get to that next level, you know, get that director to the VP level to the C-suite levels. 
Um, and then 10 years from now, so far, so far out, uh, <laughs> you know, I think we saw 10 years of innovation happen in like the first, you know, three, three weeks of the coronavirus um, pandemic. But we still have the wage gap in this country. Uh, women make, I think it's 83 cents. Yes, 83 mm-hmm. cents to the dollar, 82 cents to the dollar today. You know, it's 64% for black women, 59% for Hispanic women. And Mm -hmm. they say that black women will not see equal pay until the year 2130. That's 110, 109 years from now. And so I'm hoping, you know, 10 years from now, we're looking at the stat and we're like, no, I can't believe that that was the case because... These companies now are putting in all these programs to try to get more diversity into their 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 companies. They're trying to get more women into the C-suite. They're trying to do more um, for diversity. And it's good. It's good for the workforce. It's good for your product. Um, the more diverse your, your product team can be, I think the better off you're going to be with developing your products. Mm-hmm. Um, you just, you just have different, different experiences coming to the table and, and, sh- and sharing. And, and that's, that's really how you make, you know, amazing things. And I hope companies are able to realize that. And, you know, ultimately, you know, women are able to get more money in their paychecks. They're able to invest more. Sure. Um, and so hopefully, hopefully in the next decade, we start to see that trend shift. Thank you for all the work that you've done to advance getting more women in this space. And it's really been a pleasure chatting with you today. Thanks, Zoya. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.